Guess who's back? Back again. Alvi's back. Back again. Guess who's back? Alvi's back. Alvi's back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, this is it could be said, and we have returned. He has returned. Simon Alvi. How are you today, Simon? I'm good. I am much more relaxed because I wasn't, I was, you know, not, not because of this podcast, but I wasn't at work for a week. I, my main, my main concerns of the day was whether I was going to go and be intelligent and see some UNESCO World Heritage sites or just sit and eat, bit, eat uh, custard tarts and eat and drink beer. I did both. Um, it's been, you know, holidays, uh, a popular, a popular, a popular pastime, which I, I would also endorse. <laughs> Luke, how are you? Did you eat oh. any? Uh, did you eat any custard tarts? Do, do do the Scots eat custard tarts? Yeah, there is a there is a little bakery around the corner from my house. There's a very nice custard tart, along with along with along with many other like creamy and sweet confectionaries. This podcast brought to you by G H Barrett. We are, we are, we are reunited. I, I am now almost fully recovered from my cold. All I have now is the remnants of a cough. I, I have even been able to drink copious amounts of alcohol on a, on a couple of days. Yeah, so, that's not a good thing, Will. But it shows that nature is coming back together and <laughs> order is being restored to the universe. So that's good. And. If you say so. Talking of order being restored to the universe, we need to get Simon's uh, viewpoint on the local elections. How go councillors in in Great Britain, Simon? So, like, because I, I, I'm sort of you're basically catching me up on on events that have happened whilst I was, you know, not in this country and therefore not paying as much attention as I should have been. Because I'll be honest. Whilst in Lisbon, I was not actually sitting and listening to coverage on Five Live. Hey, Simon, we both, we, me and Luke, both know this is a lie because we were getting your WhatsApps to our group chat. It's not true. <laughs> I, I, I may have paid some. I mean, I, I probably read some articles. Read some articles. I didn't listen to any of it live, but I and I did listen to your. I did listen to the most recent podcast because I thought, well, you know. I've, I was away. I, you know, you, it's very important if you go if you go away that you catch up on the work you've missed. Um, it's very that's very important. Um, so, and I actually I thought your I thought in general terms your um, your read was fair. I think slight I would slightly more emphasize that like the the thing that twenty eighteen was a genuinely a good result for for Labour, and so actually you know. Standing still here, although you know we're not obviously it was not a it was not a sort of nineteen nineties kind of result. You know, it does does represent some progress. I thought I thought um, I thought your argument. I thought most of you know you you correctly said. Look, if these result if you know if this was a general if this result was happened in a general election, they'd win back those swathes of red wall in both commas seats. I thought that was a really fair point. I thought that was important. Um, I think that um, you know. I think winning, winning in. I think they won. I think they took Southampton, which is a, is again is a decent result. Um, the what the one place you didn't mention in terms of Labour's disappointments, because I do agree it was not. It was a a mixed night for the late. It was a bad night for the Tories, 
It was a good night for the Lib Dems. It was a very good night for the Greens. Um, and it was a mixed night for Labour. I think they failed to take Swindon, which I, I always kind of regard as kind of a bit that, in that kind of that kind of that kind of M4 corridor between London and Bristol. I always think, and it, it it's weird because. As you correctly said, like what is going to count as a bellwether in the next election is going to look very different to what counted as a bellwether in previous elections. But to me, Swindon, I don't, Swindon is a, you know, relatively affluent place. You know, it's got good, it's good jobs. You know, you're, you're in that M4 corridor where there's loads of like high tech businesses and those things. Um, you know, so you're going to, I bet Swindon has a pretty decent graduate population. It's got, you know, it's southern, it's urban, it's, you know, it's, but you're still gathering people who want to live, you know, in Wiltshire in a very nice part of the world. And, you know, so I think that the, the failure to take Swindon was a, along, along with the things you said, I, I, I'm less worried about Hull because Hull was, Hull is a classic kind of basically a couple of people, there were a couple of, now obviously it's not good for a party in opposition to lose rather than gain. But Hull really was, basically, it's their only Labour and Lib Dem in Hull. And there was one ward where one guy, where one guy had resigned to become an independent and the Lib Dems took that one. And so it's, it's technically Lib Dem because the numbers, but the numbers to swing it back, it was not, you know, a huge breakdown in Labour support in that in that community, but yeah, again, like it's not it's not great news. Um, I think there'll be a lot of people wondering about I think wondering about Harlow and wondering about Croydon. Um, you know, in in a time when not Harlow Harrow, um, at a time when you know Labour did really really well. You know, Wandsworth, Westminster, Barnet. These are big totemic, frankly, they're kind of iconic councils in London. Um, and to see to see them be to be Labour councils is 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 you know it's it's, it's exciting. Um, I, I literally work opposite Westminster City Hall, so I was like, well, the first time you know many years working around there, um, I, I'm actually standing. You know why Labour Council? You know why I really yeah. hope. Oh, sorry, there's some bad yeah. feedback. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why that feedback's happening. Um, I really hope the Labour group in Westminster Council just is it. Just be as radical and un Westminster council as possible, even if it means they get turfed out in 2026. But like all the really good ideas, Westminster council has been like a massive block on. They just go, yeah, sure. Sadiq Khan, you want to build like cycle paths over our public parks? You go for it, Sadiq Khan. You know, convert various streets into pedestrian areas where like cafes can have tables and there can be a cafe culture you do it houses being built yeah let's build houses everywhere let's go fucking nuts you know because like Westminster Westminster and Kensington and Chelsea they are such handbrakes on London they really they are. really are I, and I, I and think I, I, I agree with all of that. And I think as well, it would be very sensible if some, I hope someone in the London Labour Party is talking to whoever the new leadership of Westminster City Council, Westminster Council are and going, guys, if Sadiq, if as I assume Sadiq Khan is planning to run for a third term in 2024, you know, this is an opportunity for him to genuinely be able to deliver on some election promises. 
including um, the pedestrianisation of, I think, Regent Street, isn't it? Um, no, it's Oxford Street, sorry, um, which I think is Westminster. You know, he, he, this, if, if, if the London councils can work with the mayor, the mayor genuinely can get the really popular bits of his agenda through. And not that I, I mean, I like the chances of, or the, the chances of Steve Khan losing the London mayoralty are low, although they are going to be fought on first past the post in 2024 now, not on, um, but I don't think that would make any difference. I think the party that will already hurt are the Greens, um, because I think a lot of people go, oh, well, I'll give the Greens my first preference, but obviously I actually want Sadiq Khan to be mayor. I, that is what I did. Um, but I think that, but I, so I think the Lib Dems and the Greens will have a collapse in their support in the next London mayoralty, and I think Sadiq Khan will basically Oh. The um, on, on Croydon. Why is doing that? So, sorry, everybody. Um, on Croydon. That's one we didn't talk about because the result actually hadn't come in when me and Luke did the did the podcast. It was the last result. It even managed to beat Northern Ireland, which was in which is going some. That is a type of result which is good. Like I know Labour just scraped on in terms of controlling the council. But the Tories run the 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 mayorship, um, the mayoralty, um, and it's like by all accounts, Croydon Council is bad. It's a badly run. Yeah, no, they they bad undersells it. Apparently, they have absolutely shit the bed, and they need to go to the Department of Local Government for like quite a substantial bailout. Um, So yeah, the fact that Labour is the fact that Labour is hasn't been wiped out is actually quite impressive. Um, but like the fact that Labour was punished for running the council bad, you do want that. You do want there to be some stick to parties. So like they can't just, you know, to use the old phrase, they can't just put a rosette on a monkey and expect to be elected. Um, and so, you know, this, that's a positive. The, is it Harlow or Harrow? Harlow. Harrow. 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 Harlow Steve... is in Essex. It's a totally, it's a totally <laughs> different place. Uh, you say Essex, I say London. Um, <laughs> so Harrow, uh, Stephen Bush, uh, in his new FD uh, newsletter, which, um, have you been reading it, Stephen Bush's new FT newsletter, Simon? Yeah, because uh, I have an FT subscription to work. It's very good. Yeah, it's, it's really good, isn't it? What about you, Luke? Have you been reading? I don't um, have uh, a subscription through work and I'm not made of money. <laughs> oh, it, is they... a bit, it is a bit, yeah. Um. Yeah. But it, that newsletter is so good. Like, it is so much better <laughs> than his new Statesman one because he has more words to play with and he can do... You, you tend to get, like, two real articles in the newsletter now, along with the links. Yeah. I don't know what you think, Simon. Yeah, no, I, 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 it is better. The puns aren't quite as good, though, so far, in general terms. But other than that, which is, you know, about 30%. But, yeah. Also, it, it's but, good because it tur- it turns up usually just as I'm beginning to think about I need to actually do some work and, and yes. that delays that feeling by about ten minutes. My productivity has increased so much now that we're not getting Stephen Bush's newsletter at like eleven thirty in the day because I had trained myself to like the morning only begins after I've read Stephen Bush, <laughs> which you know w- was pushing it as his yeah, if, newsletter. If he doesn't turn up till lunchtime, that's. <laughs> But like he had a very good one about um, basically how different ethnic minorities vote and how you can't understand the Harrow results 
if you don't understand that Harrow has a high proportion of British Hindus who um, have trended quite pronouncedly towards Conservative Party. Yes. Um, and, you know... And I'm, well, uh, by the way, I didn't see the newsletter, but I did see like a tweet thread that he did. I think the one thing he missed from that is that's not accidental. Like CCHQ all the way back from David Cameron in opposition has been very methodically, you know, and with planning a thought or working those kind of communities yeah. very, very hard. He does touch on it in his newsletter and in his previous writing. So like Bush was one of the first writers to actually say all that stuff about how Sadiq Khan is going to take the fact, take your jewels that um, that Zach Goldsmith punted out in 2016 that everybody assumed was ho- uh, not, not just horrible, but laughable, flopped, didn't work. If you actually looked in detail at the areas that they would have been targeting, the heavily Hindu areas in London, that actually was an improved Tory performance based on what you would expect. So actually, it seems like that message did work in some way. Um, so yeah, so like, yes, yeah, Stephen Bush has been writing about that for a while. But it is quite interesting because I actually share that with people at work. Um, um, because we at work, we're going, through, we're going through a process of trying to phase out the use of BAME because of stuff like this, which is, you know, that no, it can be, no, a catch-all phrase, whether it's ethnic minority, whether it's BAME, whether it's non-white, no, whatever, whatever phrase you want to use, it can be useful in some very specific instances when you're, basically when you're talking about the, the experience of like blanket racism. But most of the time, it obscures more than it reveals. I mean, the example I use at work is, it is factually true to say BAME, non-white people, ethnic minority people, had a lower rate of vaccination than white people. It is, however, not true to say that all ethnic minorities had a lower vaccination rate mm. than white people because uh, British Indians, British Chinese people, their vaccination rate was basically the same as white people. It was particular ethnic groups that had the low vaccination rates. So like, you know, and they you know it's, that sounds like a semantic difference, but actually, although it's technically true, the first statement, you know, that could mean you'd be doing loads of vaccine outreach, like British Indians, British Chinese people, when there was no need to do it. So, um, yeah, but anyway, but yeah, the, 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 the Harrow result was interesting. And it does show this, uh, you know, the, the change in face of, uh, of, of the British electorate. Um, just just, to, just to, to follow up on something from the previous podcast and something that Simon said as well. Um, I think when we come closer to the next general election, like Stephen Bush or the new guys, the new statesmen whose names I haven't learned yet, somebody really needs to come up with, somebody really needs to start doing like long form articles on what constitutes a bellwether seat in the 2020s. Because I don't think we have a clue at the moment. Because the, the traditional ones, a lot of the traditional ones, your Peterboroughs, your Amber Valleys, 
Ian Eaton's, Swindon's, um, Tamworth's, places like that just aren't, just don't look like they're going to be where the next general election Amber Valley's in Wales. Amber Valley's in, is Amber Valley in Wales? No, it's a Derbyshire. I always get that one confused. Yeah. Um, I my gut will be this is not very helpful. There will not be any such thing as a bellwether. You will need a Welsh Labour Tory bellwether. You'll need a Tory Lib Dem bellwether in the south. You'll need a Labour Tory bellwether in the south with the Tories defending. You will need um, um, Labour Tory bellwether in the Midlands, and you'll need Labour Tory bellwether in the north of England. And actually, a crucial thing will be, and this is one of the things I said in the previous podcast, the Tories didn't lose a lot to Labour in the north, but... It's Based the gains on, they didn't make. It's the gains they didn't make. And the, those gains are what would have meant you would have expected them to come, no, to convert seats like, was it Hull or was it that last year? Hartlepool. Hartlepool. Hartlepool, yeah. Yeah. So seats like Hartlepool, which it's felt like the toys may gain now that the, down at the Brexit parties are off the scene. Um, those seats no longer look like likely against the Tory party based on these local elections. Um, so, yes, I, I, I think it's going to be a much more complicated uh, situation. I, and, and that's where it looks like 97, it looks like 2005. And the thing for the Tory party is it's a very, very fine margin between them, them being a Tory party again in 97 where the tactical voting just aligns perfectly and, you know, not a particularly big um, Labour share of the votes turns into this huge thumping majority. No, uh, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree with you there, Will. In order for that to work, the Lib Dems need to be polling substantially higher than they are. No, you're wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Because you've got to remember all the left-wing parties' vote share is more efficiently distributed now because they don't have any support in Scotland. Or, sorry, they have much less support in Scotland. So you actually look, so um, uh, Sam Friedman has been making this point. The anti-Tory vote at the moment is as high as it's been in an opinion polls since the heyday of New Labour. And by heyday of New Labour, Labour's late New Labour's first term. Because I think the thing, like I think, although the Lib Dems obviously did very well in terms of seats, in terms of gains in 1997, I think they 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 they, they pulled out at about 16 percent. I think no, which is lower. 17. Yeah, yeah, but it was lower than what they got in the local elections. No, yeah, it, but it was also it was also it was also lower than what they got in ninety two. Yeah, but Nash, but look nationally now they're polling like 10, 11, 12. Yes, but but they're not wasting votes in Scotland or Wales. Like the Lib Dems barely exist in Wales nowadays. Yeah. Their vote will be more efficiently distributed. Anyway, the point I'm gonna make is look, I'm not necessarily saying you're wrong. My point is there's a fine margin between it being ninety-seven again. 
or it being 2005, but the Tories are New Labour. So the Tories, the Tory vote does come in, and the tie does come in, but it comes in in a way that actually makes their vote unbelievably efficient, where they are winning a, a you know, scores and scores of formerly safe seats by razor-thin margins. So that's what happened with New Labour. You know, look, that, that, that 2005 result was catastrophic in terms of share of the vote. Yeah. Labour went from, I think, 41-ish percent in 2001 to 36%, barely ahead of the Tories um, on 33%, um, actually polled less votes than the Tories in England, but they just won majorities in all the key seats. <laughs> Sorry. And it's one of the reasons why there was such huge... There were so, so many gains to the Tories in 2010 because there was just so much low-hanging fruit for the Tories if they got any sort of swing or any sort of lead over Labour. So, yeah, so that that's... But I think it is going to be 97 or, or, or 2005. But the, the, like, this is good. This, the Tories are going to be defending. They're not going to be defending against Labour. They're going to be defending against several fronts. And, and, and how well they hold off all of those fronts will determine whether they hold on to a majority. Okay, just before we move off this point, define what you mean by 97, because you're not seriously arguing that Keir Starmer could win a majority of 170-odd seats, are you? No, what I'm saying is the Tories could be reduced to, like, 200, 250, which would be... Well, actually, huge... that's substantially better than... 97. Yes, but the Tories are in a substantially better position. But if you look at the amount of seats they'd be losing, it'd be on par with 97. I just wanted to be... I, I, that's fine. I just wanted to be clear what you, you meant. You have to remember that like, the Tories are currently on 380 <laughs> seats. They entered, they entered 97 um, defending from the previous election something like 320. I can't remember what the... Uh, yeah. Just adjustment for boundary changes was, yeah. Um, and and they lost, you know, they lost no to over two hundred seats. You know, could the Tories lose one hundred and fifty seats in one go? If if tactical voting works out, they could. On these results, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll work out. I still think you would. The Tories struggle to go below two hundred and fifty unless the Lib Dems do better than they are doing now. But they've just had a very—I mean, they have just had a very good set of results. Um, now, yeah, you but know, they always—they always—they always overperform in like they always overperform in local government. That was true, even in the even in the dark days, of the coalition. That was still true. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the results, Simon? Um, I mean, I haven't mentioned Northern Ireland. Um, yes. So, uh, what 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 do you make of Northern Ireland? I mean. I think there's an. I mean, it. it I, I. think it's a weird. There's a lot of. There's a lot of cope on sort of right wing British Twitter. Um, I use British quite deliberately there. Um, of like, oh, Sinn Fein didn't actually gain any seats, and it was just the DUP. You know, it was just the sort of coalescing of the unionist vote. You know, collapse of the DUP. Uh, it's obviously, and I know 
the, the first minister and the deputy first minister are technically, you know, equal roles under the Good Friday Agreement. All of this is true. It will, if at some point the first minister of Northern Ireland comes, particularly comes from Sinn Féin, not just any other na any other nationalist or Republican party, it will be a totemic moment in British history, no question about it. Um, you know, if Michelle O'Neill... Um, who I was just oddly looking at a picture of her. If um, they ever do a biopic, Nicola Coughlin from Derry Girls is clearly going to play her in play her at some Mick, point. Which one's Mick, which one's her? Michelle O'Neill is the Northern Irish one, rather than the she's the deputy leader and the. No, no, I know that. I mean, which one from Derry Girls? Uh, she's Claire. She's the she's the wee lesbian. Oh, I think I'm with Erin. I mean, you know. Anyway, that was that was a, it was literally a passing thought I just had whilst looking something up, <laughs> but. Um, it's obviously it would obviously be totemic if 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 that happens, you know it doesn't matter. It kind of doesn't matter how you get there. But I, I was listening to someone talking about this, um, and they made the point, and I think this is a reasonably interesting one, which is in some ways the 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 fact that the alliance party has leapfrogged into third place is I mean, it's not more significant because like Sinn Fein leading the poll is massive. But it's really, it's really significant. It's really significant to the thing I kind of feel is a weirdly hopeful thing about what this means about the Northern Irish voter, which is to me both the continued survival of Sinn Fein and the massive growth of the alliance ha is is indicative of the kind of implode the sort of the weakening of that idea of um, you know what of of of, of sort of green orange politics. Um, obviously, you know, Sinn Féin in the Republic has done so well because they've been able to present themselves as not a, um, you know, as not, as not the party of, you know, continuing the struggle, but actually like solving problems and sort of broadly left-wing politics. Um, and... You know, the fact that people are willing to give their votes to Sinn Féin, the fact that the alliance has seen such a growth, particularly among younger people, it, I, I, it seems to me says that the, the, the thing, the, the sort of his, the historic role of Northern Irish politics, which is basically you get your vote out to get your, you know, to represent your community. And that's kind of the beginning and end of it, it is, 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 and I think this is a historic thing to be generally anyway, is, is declining and in some ways, I think that's probably where the DUP, why the DUP is. I mean, there's a lot of reasons the DUP are doing badly, but you know they have very little more, little else to offer to the North, average Northern Irish voter than we are the party of unionism. You know, there's no one more, there's no one more unionist than me, except the except TUP. Yeah, well, they you said there is. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, yes, they did. Okay, they did better, but I mean, like most people, I, I think TUV are, are probably too much for most people. I think I, I I couldn't disagree more vehemently about your analysis on Sinn Féin. I think... Actually, but, but well, sorry, Will, just before you come in there, probably worth saying that Jeffrey Donaldson has come out today and said he won't take his seat in the Assembly until there's movement on the protocol. Yeah, well, let, let's talk about that when we talk about the Queen's speech. Uh, well, no, we might talk about it in a minute. Um, I think the thing, Sinn Féin in the Republic is a very different party to Sinn Féin in Northern Ireland. Um, and I think there are many hilarious examples of this. Um, most bizarrely, fox hunting, when Sinn Féin failed to 
full-heartedly support a ban on Fox hunting or tighten up on the ban on Fox hunting. Um, you know, they played a double game in abortion in, in Northern Ireland as well. Um, to me, she, no, Sinn Féin did, to be fair, run a bread and butter campaign, um, as, as, as I think did most parties, with the exception of probably Tough. Um, but I think if you look at where they're, where the, 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 the surge, going into this election, most opinion polls said Sinn Féin would lose seats. They'd still be the largest party, but they'd lose seats. The bit, the bit of growth they got that put them over the edge um, because the DUP also did better in seats than people expected um, is clearly nationalist voters coming home after Sinn Féin did very badly in 2017. So I think the, the, the obvious thing to read into Sinn Féin, where Sinn Féin did better, and particularly how the SDLP had its uh, lunch taken off it, is um, the DUP would around saying, um, there's going to be a border poll, there's going to be a border poll, or we're not sure, we're not sure if we're going to allow a nationalist to be first minister, actually created this rally around the flag effect that just helped Sinn Féin get over the line in terms of M- MLAs. Um, I, there's a good article by Marcus Leox, who is a London-based writer, but from Northern Ireland, where he says, you know, there is hope that actually Sinn Féin getting the first ministership or something else happening, which we can talk about in a second, might just get Northern Ireland out of a bad doom loop. And a doom loop is basically... The DUP keeps going to Protestants. You hate Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin's a party of the people who blew you up for 50 years, 30, 40 years. The only way to stop Sinn Féin uh, running Northern Ireland is to vote for us. And what is going to happen, because it's not a technical, it's not that the the first minister and the deputy first minister are technically the same. They are the same. The first minister can't do anything without the deputy first minister. It is a joint executive office. You know, the, the whole pretense that one is superior to the other was just a sop to unionist opinion. Um, the fact that that has been blown up should hopefully, this is Marx's, Leox's opinion, um, and I think there's some evidence, some truth to this, should hopefully mean that the DUP can't run around waving the bloody flag again, can't run around saying, vote for us, um, or Sinn Féin gets in, because what's going to happen at some point, because it will happen at some point, you know, no one can say when, it could be this year, it could be next year, it could be you know, 2023. At some point, Sinn Féin and DUP will go back into devolved government because we know that people punish them when they're not in government because people people don't want the government of Northern Ireland left to Westminster. Um, they want Northern Ireland, they want Stormont to be running to be running the country. Um, when they go back in, 
everyone's going to realise, oh, Michelle, Michelle O'Neill's the first minister. Uh, is actually isn't that different to when she was a deputy no. first minister? Mm. Uh, now, if Sinn Féin were clever, they would make a big song and dance about wanting to be first minister, wanting to be first minister, and then reluctantly agree to change it to be joint first ministers. Because what they can then say to nationalists, to Catholic people in Northern Ireland is, look, we won square and we won fair and square by the rules of the game. And when we won, the Unionists, the Protestants, the Brits, they changed the rules. We're never going to get a fair sip of the jug in Northern Ireland. This is why we, there needs to be unification. That's If Sinn Féin's clever, that's what they do. Because fundamentally, um, as totemic as it may be, it's also going to be really awkward. Like, how can Michelle O'Neill be first minister of a province that she can't say the name of? How, how will she represent Northern Ireland, embody Northern Ireland? Because this, this is the stuff that was kind of left to the DUP or left to the UUP in the first Deputy First Minister divide. Um, how can Sinn Féin do that if they fundamentally don't recognise Northern Ireland? Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, think, I, I think Sinn Féin might find this a more difficult thing to navigate than some people think. In terms of the totemic stuff, I do wonder as well whether... Whether, whether the SNP have been in government in Scotland um, lessens some of the psychological impact on Britain. Yeah, I think that's. I think yeah. that's, I think I think that's a good. I think that's a good point. Because we are now you know it's what it's been what thirteen years yeah thirteen years having the SNP in charge in Holyrood, so the idea of having part of the UK actually governed, not just like the weird system they have in Northern Ireland, actually governed by a party that wants to take that entity out of the UK. That's kind of been baked in. Um, it is different to Northern Ireland because I said like Sinn Féin don't, it's easier, like like the, the example I always use is COP26. Nicola Sturgeon can quite happily pose with Welsh Labour Boris Johnson, because, you know, she recognises Scotland as part of the UK. She wants Scotland to exist. It's no big deal. Whereas Michelle O'Neill, deep down, Michelle O'Neill doesn't think Northern Ireland should exist. It's not the case of it being transferred to another constitutional place. Um, So, yeah, so so I I disagree on the Sinn Féin stuff. Stuff on the Alliance is really interesting. And, like, when me and Luke were talking, we were talking about a range the Alliance should get, and they actually did slightly better than the range we give. Like, they got 17. I think we were talking about 15, 16. So the Alliance did incredibly well. And I've spoken to somebody I know in Northern Ireland, and and I do think 
there was just a mass movement away from formal unionism to the alliance because people were sick of the nonsense. Um, and and it is people like that that's going to determine Northern Ireland's future. You know, there's Jim Murphy once said this in the context of Scotland, where he said, I'm not a unionist. That is not my political tradition. You know, you can believe in the union. You can believe Northern Ireland's place is in the United Kingdom and find the kind of the flag shagging, um, the, the, the religious connotations of unionism, um, not for your taste. And, and I think that group of people um, is going to be really, really important. Um, and, and they are the growing block, you know, like, you know, it is striking that, you know, the first um, assembly election in this incarnation um, returned the exact same percentage of nationalist um, voters as today. Like, the nationalist share of the vote has flatlined. The unionist vote has plummeted. And I suppose this is the other thing I disagree with. I actually didn't see copium from um, the right on Twitter. I saw blind panic and attempts to kind of demonize Sinn Féin. And it's like, guys, they've been, go- they've been in government since the late 90s. You know, we cannot, we can be, you know, we can be, we can be happy or unhappy about it, but this is not a major change. Um, they they are part of the system. This is the system that has been in place for you no know, on and off for two decades now. Um, so yeah, you know we've we've we, there's clearly got to be change to the Stormont process because you've got such a strong third force now. Um, but it's got to be done in a way that's fair to Sinn Féin and Sinn Féin voters, because um, not to quote Arthur Balfour, which is always dangerous in the context of Ireland, but uh, killing, killing Irish nationalism with kindness um, has, has always been the best strategy. Um, um, and actually, sorry, I've got one more thing. People could say Northern Ireland was, was structured to stop this happening. And it's like... First, no, 30% of people voted for nationalist parties in the first Northern Irish parliamentary elections in 1921. Like, yes, historic Ulster was shrank to see the most um, Catholic counties. I've never heard an answer to whether pe- people think that the British should have kept those three counties, given the fact that the, the other six counties weren't going to go along with United Ireland and would have fought both the British and the Southern Irish forces if made to go into a all-island state. But but yeah, so so you know you can call that gerrymandered if you want. To me, it seems like a f- reasonable recognition of self-determination. Um the reason you didn't go all the way to the four-county redoubt of the four counties with really heavy Protestant majorities is because that wouldn't have been sustainable. Um, and these are these these are the type of debates that happen all over Europe. 
as you try to create national national no national state boundaries rather than the more imperial boundaries that existed beforehand. But the the, the key change <clears throat> isn't anything to do with Northern Ireland. It's to do with unionism. You know, unionism was obsessed with being unified. It is obsessed with drawing strength from everybody. Um, unionism was much better at just at actually engaging with its left-wing flank. So, like, there's, you know, there's really interesting stuff, not just in the 1920s, but also after the Second World War, about how the, you know, the, the, you know, the aristocratic also unionist leadership negotiated with the kind of the labor movement in Northern Ireland to ensure that they would be on board and they wouldn't kind of go for a, you know, a union of the working class um, type approach. And that's all gone. You know, the, the unionists divided in three ways. Um, you know, still had more votes, had more MLAs elected, but they divided in three ways. They've alienated so many um, people who believe in the union or who are happy with the union because they don't talk to them, they don't engage with them. That's the thing that's changed. And again, to go back to this Marcus Leach's point, and it's a point that other um, you know, intelligent Northern Ireland commentators I read have made, you know, the threat to the union is not Sinn Féin. The threat to the union is the unionist parties and, and the, the complete holics they keep making of running Northern Ireland or putting forward the unionist case. And the one thing I really, really, really hope they're not tempted to do is try and recreate an all, an, an all unionist party because that's just going to increase this kind of doom loop where unionism is associated with its stupidest, most intolerant uh, members. Um, and it just encourages more and more people who don't, you know, don't buy into the flag checking agenda to leave unionism. And, you know, maybe they can stay as solid supporters of the union whilst being alienated from unionism. But, you know, it's, that could easily become an antechamber to supporting unification if you're not careful. So, yeah, interesting times ahead. Before we move off elections, have you oh, seen what... Sorry, Do you Luke. Know? Sorry, before we change, I just wonder if Simon has any thoughts back to what I just said. No, no, I, th I thought there was a lot of really interesting stuff in that, and I would like to continue talking about elections, so I'm excited which, which election Luke wants to talk about. <laughs> it's not... It's not... It's not um... It's it's potential future elections. Have you seen oh, even better? Have you guys seen what Plaid and Labour are proposing to do to the Senate? No. Yeah, but they want to make it like nine, about a, nearly a hundred seats, which I yes, which was great decision. idea. Well, no, great hang on, hang, hang on. Well, listen, they want they want to make it. They want to make ninety six seats. They want to make it ninety six seats, but they can they want to overhaul the electoral system completely as well. Oh. What's How do they want the electoral that's system? Exciting. They want to go. They want to. They want to. They want to go. They want to go to the Hunt STV. So what? A closed party list. Yeah. Vote for a party. Yeah. And then it's redistributed from parties. So it's not like. So that'd be like the um, Irish European. 
It was also that's how the European Parliament no, was elected. No, the UK no, 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 no. It was. Jahan was how we did it. Was, how we it wasn't did. STV. Okay. Are, are, is it STV the Hans or the Hans? STV, STV the Hans. Yeah, so, so what they're talking about is closed, closed party lists. Yeah, so, yeah so, it's, so, it's, so it's closed, it's closed lists and it's going to be led, it would be legislated that any party slate had to be 50-50 gender balanced. And it'd be transferable votes, so one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Yeah, so that's not what we use in European elections. Yeah. Okay. Um, the the effect the effect of this is going to be basically to to lock out basically to lock out anybody out the Senate that isn't Labour, Plaid, or Tories. Why? Um, well, because if, because like I was looking at a Welsh like academic who'd analysed this, and apparently if you do it on the last, if you do it, if you take the data for the last two sets of Senate elections. Like the threshold for the final seat would be like more than twelve percent. Yeah, but if it's STV, you'd have transfers. Are you sure it's STV the hunt or just the the hunt? I think it might just be the hunt in that case then. Yeah, so it would be it would be what we use in European elections. Yeah. Um I mean what do you think? That would be a big change. More more members of the Senate would be good. <coughs> I actually did this analysis last year. Um, the Senate would be much more proportional uh, with more diversity of opinions, slightly less control for Labour. If it well, had more would seat. it, though? Because if yes. you used the haunt... No, but gonna... they, they used the haunt for the top-up now. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, it would be. Because Labour is so dominant, it already does well anyway. Yeah. So it would be Plaid and Tories who would pick up most of the extra seats you create. Um, and then that would be even more true if you get rid of constituency seats. I'm amazed Plaid have got Labour to agree to that um, because a, a mixed system would, would, would better protect the Labour um, that seems to be what that seems to be. It was in the it's in the agreement that that Plaid signed with Labour. So yeah, this is the legislation they're bringing forward for the next set of elections. I mean, it does. I must. The one thing I would say. I mean, the Senate more than any other institution in British politics of the last twenty years is a much more significant body now than it was when it was first established in yeah. nineteen ninety nine. I mean, nineteen ninety nine. It was basically just a talking shop um you know it couldn't it couldn't put forward legislation it couldn't do this it could do that it is now a proper legislative body with you know powers of control over over large areas of public life in wales and it's still a 60 seat assembly you know it's a much more significant parliamentary organ it's now a parliament whereas it was an assembly yeah and the the argument the argument is that it's the argument is that because it's a unicameral chamber, it's too small for its committee system to work properly. It's not just that. It's it's it's, it's too small. It, there's too few non-ministerial members. And again, the fewer seats you have per constituency 
is per top-up constituency, the less proportional it is. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, I said, like, I went through this with the last set of results because I'm fun like this. Because like, you, could, you could work out, if you kept going through, um, you could actually work out who, no, if, if, I think at the moment it's four top-up yeah. um, uh, Senate members, whereas in Scotland it's six, am I right? Is it six or yes. five? Yes, six. Yes. So six. I did it. I did it where each top up got six, and you it it, <laughs> it wasn't huge change, but it it strengthened the Tories. It strengthened Plaid. It got the Greens in to the Senate. Um, it didn't do much for the Lib Dems, and it didn't do anything for abolish. Um, I've, I've got up the, the white paper. So, yeah, so, so what would be 96 members, closed um, proportional lists. I hate that. Using the haunt. So it would be the European parliamentary system. It's not STV. Um, um, the way it would work is the 32 parliamentary constituencies would be paired... And then each of those 16 Senate constituencies would elect six members. <coughs> I don't see how that would lead to Lib Dems or Greens being definitely shut out. Um, but uh, I, I, it was, I'm only doing, but I'm only going by this analysis as well that said like the threshold for the final seats would be really high. Yes, but that's not the way the hunt works. So the way the hunt, because they, they use the hunt now for the top-ups, the yeah. way the hunt works is um, you, how's how the easiest way to explain this through words? Say um, you, you have your votes and you, for every seat, for every uh, Senate member, that you get, your vote is cut in half. Yeah, yeah, I know I don't work. Um, so the, the threshold may be high, um, but it would, it, it's not so much that the threshold, it's like how much have the other parties been reduced by? Mm. Um, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, you wouldn't, like, it wouldn't be as favorable. As um, STV, but it would be more favourable than the current system. Because you remember about the current the current system. I think it's only what the Lib Dems that are in there, other than the three major parties. Yeah, now and the before before that there was UKIP. Yeah, but you UKIP would UKIP would have done really well under this system. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so this this is this will be more proportional than what, what they currently have. Um, obviously, STV would be more proportional. I am really surprised I've got Labour to agree to get rid of the constituencies. I, I really hate the fact it's a closed list. I think that's really anti-democratic. Well, it's closed list now. For the top up seats. 
Yeah, but you do have that. You still have the constituency link of being able to vote for individual Senate members as well. Yeah, you got to remember the way they interact. Um, who you vote for in your constituency impacts how much your vote for your um, your top up seat matters. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean the, the one thing I will say is that AMS system is too easily gained. Gamed, um, we've I mean, Alba tried it, failed. The Greens did game it, game it in Scotland. So moving away from that would not be a bad thing. Personally, STV would be better um, because can, can we just agree with this? How cool would the North Nine elections? But like you had the drama of who was topping the vote. <laughs> you had the drama of transfers. Who was going to be the last candidate elected? Oh, no, I'm real... sorry. <laughs> First past the post is a hill I will die on. There was some real nail biters in the in the Northern Ireland Assembly. Like the the the, the alliance somehow came from nowhere to beat the SCLP on the fifth round. Yeah, it's brilliant. I know, I know Simon profoundly disagrees with this, but every I time really I do. Every time, every time I look at any alternative vote system, the more convinced I am that I want to stick with the, uh, the post. Well, on the bright side, you live in a country <laughs> where that is probably going to happen for the rest of time. Thank you, Nick Clegg. <laughs> I, I will. I will always. Um, I don't mind first past the post for Westminster, but these Mickey Mouse assemblies, I don't see any harm with having a <laughs> <laughs> and, all, and also in all seriousness, like I think with these smaller countries, the the, the danger of one party just being too dominant is is, is more acute. So STV is, is something like STV is is good in that in that case. Um, like the unionist parties would do a lot better in the STV than they currently do. Anyway, should we have should we uh, move on to um, the Starmer affair? Well, I, I was. Oh my God, is that the time? Yes, I suppose we'll save Roe yeah. versus Ray to talk uh, for, future, for a future thing. Simon, as somebody who may have had many a beer in a depressing office, um, I have. <laughs> yeah, not not like normally not more than one or two, but yes, cumulatively quite a lot. And my office is not depressing for any any of my employers who may or may not be listening. <laughs> what um, about the beer? Although the beer is. Well, Heineken are a client, so I'm uh, contractually obliged. <laughs> the beer is very good. See, this is the thing. I don't drink beer. I hate beer. I'm a spirits drinker. And you used to drink Newcastle Brown, Luke. Yeah, back in the days when I drank. Um, um, when was the last time you actually drank alcohol? Um, it'd be a couple. Of, it'd be a couple. Of, it'd be a couple of years ago. Ironically, it was, to, it was tequila because I actually quite like tequila. I well, remember it's like you... going from zero to ninety. I, I know it's weird, isn't it? I um, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. My two favourite tequila stories. So first of all, um, I, when I moved back to Leicester in two thousand and twelve, um, I took a, I, I had like a housewarming party. And so, so me and some friends went on town in Leicester, and I took home to my fa- what was my favourite gay bar when I used to go out in Leicester seven, eight years beforehand, and it was fucking dead. And um, and I was and I was like, oh, 
ruin a good night by taking people to a dead club. So I went to get get everybody around a tequila. So um, so I get I, so I, I ordered a tequila, and they bring the tequila. And I was like, oh, where where are, where are the limes? And so we've got no limes. And I was like, I was like, oh, do you have any lemons? So we've got no fruit. And I just pointed to this empty, empty gay disco. And I was like, well, I can see you've got no fruit. <laughs> and that's okay for me to say, because I am I am one I am one of those said fruits. Um <laughs> The other one was when I was at Matt Gale's wedding. We went, we asked for tequila. It's an open bar in the Hilton in Port of Spain. So we went to the we went to the open bar and asked for tequila. And they all went, oh no, go back to your table, we'll bring it to you. And they literally brought a bottle of tequila, a tray of salt, and a tray of limes for, for us to drink at our table. Oh my yeah. god, it's, this, amazing. This, it's genuinely this, amazing. This is the thing, it would be about three years ago, and I got very, very drunk, very, very, very quickly. I got very, very drunk, very, very quickly. Well, I know what I'm, I know what I'm bringing the next time I come around you. <laughs> no, because I, I just did what I always do when I get very, very drunk, which is to get surly and throw up, which is why I don't really drink. I mean, I, I'd like to make it clear you can get dr- you can drink without getting drunk, but you know, yeah, no, but... I, 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 no, I, ne- I, ne- that's a trick I never mastered, Simon. I, I'm either sober or really drunk. It's a trick I have mastered, despite myself. Yeah, which is which is why I stopped drinking. It's not a moral thing. I just don't like the sensation of being drunk. <laughs> What's unpleasant about being drunk? Ask a glass of water. Ask a glass of water. <laughs> anyway, beer gate, son. Yes. Oh, by the way, can we just say, standard objection, we have our own abuses of powers. We have our own scandals. Yeah, it's the st- are we saying it's the Starmer affair, the Curry no. affair, the Durham dinner affair, the D- Durham dining affair. Oh, <laughs> I like that. You see, I mean, Keir beer is quite good as a hashtag because it's right. But yeah, the di- Durham dining, although the Durham dining affair does make it sound like a bunch of Oxbridge rejects were really, really racist to someone. Let's be clear. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, Simon, as a hash, as a hashtag. I much prefer Sir Beer Karma. <laughs> that's that's also works. I mean, also Beer so, Karma. Sir Beer yes. Karma that also works. So once we've not fa- we failed to decide what it's called, we can then fail to decide what it's going to mean. So you you covered it, I thought briefly but quite adequate, quite successfully, succinctly, on what it is, which is basically. At the end of a day's <laughs> campaigning. Now, this is the thing I'm not sure. Is it was it for the local elections or was it for the Hartlepool by-election? Or does it, it was like... for the local elections, but probably a bit it says on the schedule that was leaked it's for the local elections. I'm guessing in practice it was probably a bit of both. Yeah. 
So it's the, 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 so the thing is that at the end of the day, and these 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 days of campaigning, particularly if you're you know particularly for a and you've got a big heavy hitting team, and they had both Starmer and Rayner there. Um, they went back to a constituency office somewhere in County Durham. I appallingly, because mostly I find this Tory quite dull, haven't yet learned what which constituency office it was, and. In at the end, at the end of a working day, near the end of a working well, it's day, Mary, it's Mary Foy, so that would be City of Durham, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, they ordered a takeaway curry and some beers because basically restaurants had all closed. Um, those those that 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 meal was then consumed in the office by the people who'd been out campaigning all day. Then the argument is that some people went and continued. And then Labour's argument, at least, is that people went then went and continued doing some work afterwards. And... Now, to be, now, to be fair, now, to be fair, Labour's performance of those local elections and thereafter, it would make a lot more sense if yeah. they were half-cut whilst campaigning. I mean, yeah. But I think the thing you said, you said, is that, like... This is much, you know, this is much more, this is how election campaigning goes. The group of people were the same group of people. I, I, I think the other thing that is relevant to this, and I, I think is consistent, like, this is bad news for, for Keir Starmer. It's bad news for the Labour Party because, let's be honest with themselves, they've rather enjoyed the view from the moral high horse over the last few months over party year. But I do think they are different. Partly because this does genuinely look like it was an end of a working day thing. They probably, you know, they were probably unwise. We'll see whether or not Durham Police decide whether that steps over the line. Um, but there's clearly no other cases of this happening. The reason I know this is if there was Guido Fawkes, the Daily Mail, the Daily Telegraph, the Sun, or as I call them, the paid wing of the CCHQ um, would have, um, by which I mean the wing of the CCHQ for which you can pay rather than they are paid. <laughs> I want to make that clear. Um, they are, they haven't found anything else. They found the grainy picture taken by James Dellingpole's son. And what a sad, what a shame it must be for James Dellingpole, a man whose entire political, entire journalistic career has been upended by one grainy phone camera picture by his own son. This like, is why... Oh God, you go, Simon. No, 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 no. It's fine. This is why I don't think it's so clear that stuff like this hadn't happened before. Um, because the only reason this became a story is they got the photo. And, and, and so, like, all what we've learned about the itinerary has came from Labour trying to explain away the photo. And like obviously, like it was just flukish coincidence that Dillimpool's son w was opposite where they were having their 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 meal, so he could take this photo. Um, I think the reaction of the Tory party as this finally got traction. She actually said, "The Mail has been pushing this since last year, like since no back when." Partygate wasn't even called Partygate when, by the way, Partygate Cummins affair. It's all one big scandal based around Cummins's turn against Johnson. Um, 
they, they they've been pushing this i think since like september october november and it finally gained traction and then what you've seen is professional politicians i.e not jake jacob reese fucking mark go holy shit we all do this because i'm guarantee you there is not a single mp that didn't have a meal like that during the local elections like i know i've never gone canvassing i know people who have the weirdos hey, hey simon um but like that you bribe your canvassers with food and a drink is what you do um and obviously bribe but by the way it's not it's not bribery treating is illegal but the point <laughs> yeah it is it is it is what it is the kind of it's the like thank it's a thank you for basically because being a low a low level party operative is essentially paying to do manual labor let's be honest with ourselves you know join a political party for three pound a month what do you get out of this uh, the opportunity to walk around your neighbor, walk very slowly around your neighborhood, delivering leaflets to people who hate you. Have a nice time. Um, and so it's just like I cannot believe that. that like, and then this is where people are like this is where the, the message has gone out, uh, including like from people like Paul Goodman, who's obviously a former MP and knows how the system works. Oh, this is like expenses, i.e. Oh shit in Christ. If Starmer gets done for this, where will this story end? Um so yes, I I I I am not confident that this is the only such example that is on record involving Starmer and Rayner. But because then again, I, it's, because then I again think, like you say, it's gonna like it's kind of, it doesn't do the Tories or any opposition party any good because they're all going to be found out. I agree with you. They're all going to be guilty of this. And to me, as I said on the last show, the key moral difference is there was an election on. Of course, they should be out campaigning. Of course, they'd be out of home, not working from home. Of course, you would then arrange a meal. Of course, there'd be stuff you'd be doing on location. <coughs> there was no justification for most of those people in Downing Street to not be working from home. Yeah, and, but, but and let me let me finish. Let me finish. And in any case, the stuff they have been done for so far was not seen to be a work event. The closest power, parallel parallel to this event in the party gates litany of shame is is the various meetings that are taking place in the garden when we get the photo of like Cummins, Carrie Johnson, Boris Johnson um, having a meeting over a glass of wine, bottle of wine and the, the Met didn't investigate that one well they did investigate but they didn't ask for questionnaires so to me I, I think like look Durham Police would be creating the most almighty headache for every fucking police force in the country if they don't acquit Starmer. Um, and Starmer's added that headache, hasn't he, uh, Simon? Yes, I mean, 
So he has made then since the the big development since the last podcast is that he stood up yesterday, and I can I can tell you actually because um, I was speaking to a colleague of mine who's a close friends of one of Sama's senior aides. Um, I'm not I am I'm hiding my sources, but partly because I can't remember who, which one it is. Um, who they were advising him that this was like the, the advice the discussions were being had on Friday night. So it's basically as soon as this was coming out, this decision this discuss this this topic was being discussed. So they, Starmer stood up yesterday afternoon and announced that if he is served with a fixed penalty notice, which is what uh, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak were both, and Carrie Johnson, were both all served with uh, related to the birthday party moment, he would immediately tender his resignation as Labour leader. Angela Rayner, the deputy leader, has said the same thing. Um, so, you know... There are many. There are many feeling. I, I I I go back and forth on this one. Um, I can see the benefits of it. I.e., Labour would be able to hopefully climb a bit back on that moral high horse. Um, they would, you know. I think in reality, it would be um, if Keir Starmer had been served with a fixed penalty notice, having gone quite two footed in on um, on Johnson over his and. And lying to Parliament, by the way, the the first time I'm, I'm to 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 subtweet Jan Hodges, like the the first time he started calling for his resignation was on about lying to Parliament. It was not about uh, being investigated, um, but um, he would have. I think it would be almost almost impossible to be, you know, for him to have survived that. And he's basically come out and preemptively said he won't do that. It means that a fixed penalty notice um, investigation done by Durham Police holds the future of the Labour Party in its hands. And that's a pretty high level of pressure for someone, you know, for, for, uh, for a... Um... Well, according to, according to the mail, it's disgraceful that Keir Starmer came, and, came out and said he would resign because that puts undue pressure on Durham Police. Welcome to the world of the Daily Mail. <laughs> but when they've been demanding he resigns. Yeah, it's just like... I mean, the thing, the thing I love... Sorry, sorry, the thing I love about this is on Thursday and Friday, people close to CCHQ were leaking that this was the greatest ops operation in political history. On Sunday, they were desperately pleading the Labour Party not to say that their leader had to resign as a result of this ops operation. It's, I it's, mean... It's almost as if people who run the Conservative Party aren't just on balance the smartest. But, but, like, people saying that this is a masterstroke of comms from Starmer, if you, if, if in order to get your masterstroke of comms you have to threaten your own resignation, I'd like to see what you do when things are truly going bad. When things well, are truly yeah. going poorly. That I think that is the risk to me. Is that yeah. this is this is the thing that worries me about this because one of the things that people who were sort of skeptical watchers of the Labour Party were always been worried about is Starmer's previous job as DPP has a lot of positives, but we know that inside their cupboard of mysteries. I assume they have such a thing in CCHQ is basically how to destroy Keir Starmer because he either failed to prosecute some paedophiles or 
um, you know, did prosecute an, a lovely old lady for not paying a TV license or, you know, any number of things that could be terribly embarrassing. I've, and, never, I've uh, never been convinced by that. You know why? Guess which party was in government when he was DPP. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's like, oh, this rotten person didn't do this. Who, who was Home Secretary? Um, well, um, fuck off. Sorry, carry on, Simon. But, okay, so maybe that'll, maybe that'll be an issue. Maybe you're right. I, I hope you're right, frankly. But there will be attack lines to Starmer. Starmer. There will be skeletons in the cupboard that the, you know, the Conservative Party and the media that basically are their clients uh, will roll out the barrel of shit about Keir Starmer. And, you know, it won't be having had a curry once in circumstances that, as we've explained, are pretty normal across the political spectrum. And because it's true of everybody, by the way, everyone has skeletons in their cupboard, things they, they don't want to talk about. Why your skeletons, Luke? I'm not talking about that. You I'm don't not... frighten me. Well, that could be anybody's ass. <laughs> I can tell you because I finished listening to last week's podcast earlier today. That's the second time that's the second time in two episodes that quote has been mentioned now. <laughs> yep. Yep. We are we are nothing we are nothing if not consistent. But I, I, I just, I, I do. Adam says for Luke's ass. Will used it last time. Oh well, that yeah, makes but, it fine. But, 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 but I was thinking about you, Luke. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, sorry, Simon. But I do, I do worry that you know, if you're kind of, you're, you're he doesn't seem he is. This was not a particularly fleet-footed way of dealing with this unfortunate event. But as we say, nothing. Like he's going to face more serious challenges from the Conservative Party in the next few years as we build up to the election, presuming that he survives this. And um, so I worry a bit about how well he'll cope with that. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I think this is objectively a more difficult situation than I think you're outlining, Simon, which is why I think. It's like it's almost like what Luke was saying. Like, like, what is a good response to this? Like, you're just in a shit position. You've gone so hard on calling for Johnson's resignation. You know, rightly so. Um, you've you've had this weird curveball thrown by the police reopening the investigation for reasons no one's entirely clear. Like, they did investigate this. They said there was no issue. It, no, it, like this has always been. It seems like the, every police force is, and it's it's quite good that you know Durham's quite a good police force by all the stats. So it's nice to see that the good police forces a, adopt the same policy as the bad ones. They all seem to just be focused on making sure that the least amount of people shout at them, which is why there is no consistency um, or logic to what they do. Um, because it's not just the fact that they'd already investigated this and said there was no, no issue. No, with Dominic Cummins, they said they don't issue retrospective fines, which didn't make any sense then because, well, every fine's retrospective. <laughs> um, you know, we, we don't live in Mega City 1. We don't have instant, judge it, uh, instant justice. 
Um, yes. Give, give Pretty yeah. Patel five years. Um, so, to me, like, look, it, the Tories were clearly telling Starmer, you, you basically have to stop hitting us over party gates, um, you know, if you want the pain to stop. And he called their bluff. I don't see a way around this. I know Stephen Bush was quite adamant that this would be a bad idea, but well, it's a bad idea from the point of view that you put your fate in the hands of you put you put you put your fate in the hands of people in the hands of people you can't control. Yes, but his fate was in their hands. Like, how would he be credible if he is fined? Um, so to me, I, I kind of feel it's probably worth just making very clear to the police, to Durham police, these are the stakes. If you find against me, if you find me, I am going to quit. My deputy is going to quit. You would have made this very big intervention in the political process. Um, you know, do you feel lucky, punk? Um, the thing, if I was Labour, that I'd make it very clear. Yeah, but, that, but, that, but, that, but that's a double-edged. That's a double-edged sword for Durham police. Because if they don't, if they then don't find it, they've been intimidated. But he haven't. He said that like, he's just said I was lying. This happens. He's not intimidated them. He said he will. He he is saying he will respect their decision. Yeah, but you're saying it's do you feel lucky? But I'm saying you can spin that the other way. Like yeah, but that'd be idiotic. Doing that they've chickened out. Like they shouldn't have reopened the investigation. It's clearly a look. I never thought the police should be involved in party gates. I said on this podcast just before the Met got involved, that again the police would turn this into a shit show because the police are useless. Um, I think the bigger issue for everybody involved is the only way this rebounds to Labour's benefit if he, is if he is fined. Because nobody believes police. Nobody is going to go, oh, the police said Starmer didn't do anything. Oh, well, we believe him. You can already see the opinion polls. Like the opinion polls have now shifted to where most people thought he did it. He broke the rules. And they won't be, I don't think they will be, they will just think it's a fix, it's a cover-up, blah, blah, blah. Because that's just what people think now. The, the best thing that can happen now in terms of morality and public office is Starmer is fined and forced to quit. And the Labour Party gets a new leader in, whoever that is, who then goes on to thump the Tories. Um, whether that will happen or not, I don't know. I get a horrible fear that Durham well, Police... You, you, you think we, we had this conversation... No, no, before, 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 before you go to that, Luke, I have the horrible feeling Durham Police is going to try and weasel out of it. They're not going to say yes or no. They're going to do some weird... He, he did wrong, but it's too late to find him or something. Uh, and then it's just going to be a complete and utter horlicks. But um, we'll see. This is the, this is the thing I'm worried about. Is like, yeah, what happens if 
Durham police don't find him, but do say there was a breach of something, and it'll just it's gonna be. I just I think in the in the end, I mean, I think in the end, like we do, obviously we don't know polling, you know, takes some time to churn through, but it doesn't seem to have had any particular impact on Labour's position in the polls or Keir Starmer's like fitness to be prime minister. Yet these things can change. But mostly, I just think it will end up with, in the end, I just think the final conclusion will just be every about everyone just going, oh, well, they're all the same. They're all shite. We just won't bother voting. Um, that's the risk. Um, can I just, can I just, um, whilst we're talking about scandals, did you both see my favourite, my favourite form of statistics, a lovely example of my favourite statistical quirk, which is that, uh, Redfield and Wilson, who are one of the big polling companies, and they do a lot of these polls, um, they asked people how many people had heard of Partygate. I think it was about 75% of people. Who are the other 25 is the question I have at this point. Anyway, about 40%. Said we envy? Oh, God, yes, absolutely. I'd like to understand how what you're doing, I presume, and I'd like to come and live in your house for a bit. But, and about 40%, I think, of people had said they'd heard of Beergate, Lovely. About one in five people had heard of a scandal called Hikegate, uh, <laughs> in which Sir Ed Davey, leader of the Liberal Democrats, had uh, broken rules to go hiking, I think, in uh, marginal constituencies in the southwest. Now, if you are thinking that once again, the uh, It Could Be Said podcast has missed one of the big stories of the year because we were too talk much talking about esoteric um, Northern Irish politics of the early 1920s. You were probably right in many, many ways. Um, um, uh, uh, but um, the reason that you haven't heard of Hikegate is that Hikegate never happened. There is no evidence that Ed Davey broke any rules to go hiking or anything similar. But as always happens, at least this is a consistent theme. One in five people are so imbat like they, they want so much to prove that you know they're on the ball they know what's going on they will go oh yes i've heard of a scandal that never happened that didn't exist and this this is one of those things by the way that you that i think pollsters should do frequently for things that are like important but basically people don't so um candidates for the u.s presidency in that kind of early pre-iowa state always just put in a random congressman from somewhere because about 15% of people will claim they really love um, congressman bumpers from and, the Oklahoma 6th. And we should say, we be very clear about this, by 15% of people, we mean 30% of men. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yes. It's, it's, but, it's typically men who, 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 who fall, fall foul of this. Simon, to quote the West Wing, Charlie, these people don't vote, do they? Some of them, no, they do. This is the thing, but it is a really interesting. But it's a really interesting game to because. But what now? If what there now? is a labor, if there's a labor leadership election, a polling a polling company should do this. So they should put in someone they claim as the shadow secretary of state for Wales, Lewin Davis, or something else and about 20 15 20 percent of people go oh yes i like the cut of his jib because wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if it turns out a day he actually did go well, this is what I love about now, yeah if I were Ed Davey, and because this story has got a little tiny bit of traction in the bits of twitter i live in yeah if i were Ed Davey, because and you're, you're the leader of the lib dems 
I would make sure I was going on a big hike this weekend and I took some cameras because that would be the way. <laughs> oh, to he should so do that. He should so do that. <laughs> um, yeah, you were gonna make you were gonna ask Simon about Lisa Nandy, I think, Luke. Yeah, because we had a conversation offline, myself and Will, and Will, you were quite convinced that if Keir Starmer had to step down, it would be Lisa Nandy's time to shine, and I think you're crazy. Well, no, I mean, again, Luke, you keep misrepresenting what I said, which is, I can't see who else has a path to getting on a ballot. Like, I literally think she might just win uncontested, because... We know she can probably get the MPs because she got onto the last ballot, although the, the threshold is now more. We know she can probably get the trade unions. I can't think of anybody else who's in that Venn diagram because the candidates who can get the MPs are too right wing for the unions. The candidates who can get the unions are too left wing for the MPs. I, I, I think there's a very real chance that uh, Nandy gets it by acclamation because of, as well because, you know, look, let, let's not be throwing the bush. Um, I, you know, you do get some people saying, oh, no, Starmer, you know, he'd been shown to do the right thing, moral thing. If he, if he was forced to resign, he'd be forced to resign because he's been proven to be this awful hypocrite that was attacking the government yeah. for something he was doing. Like this idea that he could be slotted right back into the shadow cabinet is just absurd. That's not oh, the way it'll go. No, I, I, think, I think Lisa Nandy, I mean, Lisa Nandy getting it by acclamation would also, of course, continue the most depressing, uh, again, statistical quirk, um, in British political history, which is that no woman has ever finished above a man in a Labour leadership election. <laughs> um, and obviously, if Lisa Nandy were to were to get it by acclamation, that would still be the case. I think Nandy would be a strong favourite if in this putative leadership election. I think you're right. I think because obviously the other person that would seem to be plausible in that case would probably be Angela Rayner. But Angela, we are assuming, and I think correctly, if Starmer goes, Rayner goes. Um, yeah, she said, well, she said they both get fixed penalty notices. We assume they both therefore resign. Yeah, I think I think if that scenario were to come about, I think the Tories would be on course for a hundred seat majority. Wow. No, 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 Nandy's not that. No, Nandy's fine. No, I think I think Nandy is is a perfectly. She's a good media operator as well. Um, she hasn't had a lot of experience. She hasn't had a lot of front bench experience because the only job she had, like she was shadow foreign secretary, which is a bit of a non-job. She's now a shadow leveling up. She's doing a perfectly decent job from what I can tell. Um, before, before running in the Labour leadership, the only front bench job she had was shadow energy and climate change, where she was generally regarded as pretty good. I, I, I think, I think you're being very harsh on Nandy. I think she'd be fine. I, 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 think, I, think we're t- I think we're talking about two completely different people. I think we're talking about two completely different people. I, yeah, no, I think I think if, if Lisa Nandy got it to, to quote Gerald Kaufman, that would be the Labour Party voting to lose the next election. Why? 
I don't I don't get this virulent reaction to you have to her. She's not that interesting. Yeah, that's but, the main thing. She's fine. Like, she's just she's just Keir Starmer, but she's a northern woman, like Yeah. Well, you've just you've just you've just said it. Keir Starmer, Keir Starmer is pretty boring. <laughs> and he's not in the he's not in the he's not in the space. I don't think he's an especially astute politician either. But he has two big advantages over Lisa Nandy. And this is, you know, this is uncomfortable to say, but it's the world we live in. Keir Starmer is a man and he looks like a prime minister. And but, but, but I bet get the, the, man I don't understand this idea that being a man's an advantage in elections. There's no evidence for that. You know, Thatcher won free elections. Theresa May fucked up royally, but she still got... Uh, she still increased the Tory party's vote share on what Cameron had gotten in the previous two um, elections. There's no evidence there's a there's a, a disadvantage to to being a woman um, in, and also, in politics. The most successful Labour leader by percentage of seats won in an election in Labour's history is a woman, Margaret Beckett, in the 1994 European elections, um, <laughs> which I accept is, you know, me... Pulling is is pulling the statistics until they bleed, but I always just like that fact. I I okay. just I okay. just, I, I I think okay. Well, let me let me let me just let me just come back at you, Margaret 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 Thatcher was Margaret Thatcher was well behind Jim Callaghan in terms of best prime minister until the winter of discontent. Theresa May is up against Jeremy Corbyn. And but, like Lisa Margaret, Nand- Lisa, Lisa Nandy will be up against Boris Johnson in during one of the worst cost of living crisis of our lifetime. Yeah, like I, I don't, I like. Look, I'm not massively enthusiastic about Lisa Nandy, but I don't see the evidence. That she's massively she's poor- worse than Keir Starmer. She's. A, lo- she's- She's a poor communicator. She's lost one leadership election. She produced no policy of any note during that leadership election, apart from I'm Northern and I like buses. Yeah, but no, but first of all, she lost one Liking election. Liking buses is a policy, but moving on. Losing the leadership election is not that big a deal. People lose leadership elections and... and... She got shellacked, Will. Well, she came second. No, she came to fair. She came third behind. Rebecca oh no, sorry, she did. She did come. But, like, she came third, and it was a no. It was a nowhere. Like, but but like, she like came. She, no, no. I feel like everybody else would take great. But she came third because she had a minute in the shadow cabinet. Like, that's why she came first. I mean, you I can't. Mean, she did. She did such a good job of shadow foreign secretary. She got moved out of it to a big, to more important role. To a job where she had more. Um, experience yeah. more opportunities for front bench experience. Shadow foreign secretary is a non-job. You, like it's it's an absolute non-job. Shadow leveling up secretary is a promotion. In opposition. Yeah, well, she got... no, but no, front bench, no, no shadow cabinet minister ever does anything. That's not the way shadow cabinet yeah, works. Name, Particularly name, not in this. Name for me one moment where she's made Michael Gove look even the least bit uncomfortable. Yeah, but, 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 but here's the point, Luke. Again, 
I'm not saying Lisa and Andy is this great upgrade on Keir Starmer, nor is Simon. What we're saying is, is we don't see the argument. She's a massive downgrade. She's a... Like, like she, Starmer like, beat her! Starmer beat her like a she, 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 He beat her in the Labour Party. Jeremy Corbyn won a, a Labour leadership election. <laughs> he then went on to lose horribly at the general election. Ed, Ed Miliband won a Labour leadership yes. election. And, the, the reason you know. she the reason she lost that leadership election is a Kirstama ran a very good campaign, which he didn't he hasn't really adhered to since, which is not you no know, there are reasons why he didn't adhere to it, but he did run a very good campaign. And two, she didn't have the profile. No one knew who the fuck she was. Also, she, had a, like, she had a cabinet. I don't know. In some, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't a Labour Party. I'm still not. I, but I wasn't a Labour Party member at the time of the leadership election. But, and I'm someone, by the way, who probably would have voted for Nandy ahead of Storm. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't paying that much attention because I wasn't voting. No, I think you'd have like, voted for Storm. The weird thing was, is, is, I think it's changed now. But I think Nandy was definitely coded to Starmer's right. Mm, poss- yeah, possibly. But I think that's but the thing is that she was trying in some ways to occupy long. You are under, if you vote, you understand voting for Long Bailey in that leadership election made sense, right? You are. I loved basically. I love Jeremy Corbyn. I would like more of that, please. You know, vote Rebecca Long Bailey. You know, Starmer was. Look, in twenty nineteen went badly. I have a nice chin and uh, vote for me. And he he ran a very good. All the people campaign. Um, yes, it's karaoke night, and um, and I, but I think so. You end up with Nandy, and you go like, why, why would you vote? Why in that leadership election would you vote for Lisa Nandy? That doesn't mean she's a particularly bad politician. I think she's brilliant. But I think she's fine. Um, it, it it doesn't mean that she wouldn't win a general election. It simply means that in the in those. In, in, in the rather traumatised experience of the 2020 Labour leadership election, you don't remember, like, that 2019 Labour Party, uh, general election was a trauma- deeply traumatic experience for the Labour Party. They were flocking to the person who they thought might keep the party from collapsing entirely, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. I, 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 and the, the thing... I, ooh, sorry, sorry, Simon. The thing I just add to that's that... Why, that's why Nandy came third, but she didn't... I mean, it wasn't... Like I, I just I think you're I think you're, yeah. She's not like she's not brilliant, but like the tragedy of the Labour Party actually is that 10, 12 years out of government, there still isn't a vast number of really brilliant people in it. Realistically, think... Starmer's not brilliant. Rachel Reeves isn't brilliant. David Lammy isn't brilliant. Lisa Nandy isn't brilliant. You know, there aren't there aren't there just aren't like amazing people to to lead the Labour Party. All the Conservatives. It's a kind of shit era in British politics to reflect yeah. the did, shit did, situation did, did, the country is in. Didn't Howard Wilson lose a leadership election? Um, I'm not sure. Or was sure it a deputy leadership election? Deputy. It's a deputy leadership election. In many ways, that's a blessing in disguise. Um, yeah, I, to me, like, when I look at Nandy, I, I, I was not impressed with her leadership campaign. Um, um, I think Nandi's problem for a long time has been struggling to find things to say. Um, you know, you know, and I think that that was particularly true on Brexit. I think the thing with Nandi is is that she would swap 
certain strengths for certain weaknesses. So Starmer is clearly a prime minister from central casting, but like, but like, no, that was a thought, but like, that's not really came through as much in focus groups and opinion polls as I think people expected, because I think people find him a bit boring. Um, but it, no, she doesn't have the big job, the high profile to kind of. All the charisma. Starmer doesn't have charisma. Yeah, Nandi has anti-charisma. No, she she, like, and honestly, Luke, she doesn't. Well, I, I did, 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 did Lisa Nandi cross your puppy or something? Like, like I, I, I just like every <clears throat> t- like every time I see her on TV, you want to turn over. But, She's just boring. She's but, dull. But Starmer's the leader of the Labour Party. Anti-charisma is em- Emily Thornberry, in my opinion. Like somebody well, yeah, who, but... somebody who is a, like a real Marmite figure, who just turns a certain no turns certain people off. Nandi's just boring, and like she she's more boring. She she may be slightly more boring than Starmer because she's a shadow cabinet member with lines to take. Now the yeah. advantages she has over Starmer is northern i don't know how much of that advantage that is but you know if 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 labor's big area to gain seats is the north or you know not lose Which seats, it, it might not be it might be because he, they might be more reliant on the lib dems hoovering up seats in the south um then then that might be an asset um if if you want to try and do a, ch- I I think it'd be very difficult for Starmer to ever persuade people that he's a change candidate. Nandy as a woman as an ethnic minority candidate, um, I think makes that more plausible. She could she could be rebadged as a change candidate. Um, she. They haven't pinned this on Starmer yet, but. Starmer was seen as more Remain. Um, no, was seen as like an arch Remainer by the time we got to general election 2019. Nandy always uh, uh, skewed to a more pro-Brexit pack in, in the 1719 Parliament. Never That's quite... not going to be an advantage to a Labour leader. Of course it will be, because... You're not gonna. You're not gonna out. You're not gonna out Brexit, Boris Johnson. Yeah, but it's you don't not, need it's, to out Brexit him. You just need to. You just need to make people not worry about it. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you need. You need. Yeah, you need to get someone gonna, like. You need to get someone like myself to vote. Let vote Labour again. Yeah, and you're gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna shed if by doing that. You're gonna shed a load of Remain votes to the Labour. No. no, 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 because. Firstly, like um, most people have, like I would like to rejoin the EU, okay? In 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 Boom. But but the thing I understand is I don't live in unicorn land, but I do live in a country where my energy bills are going up, where all my other bills, you know, this is the thing. I just think that Brexit is not going. Brexit is going to be a hurdle to clear. It is yeah, not but- going to define the next election or. Anything like it? I I I just 
again, I just don't see the argument. She's seen that she is worse than Starmer. She's slightly different. But and the key thing as well you do get is for some reason, and you do like it's like so like I forward an article to um uh, our good friend Rich Fawn, Luke, about Matthew Iglesias's take on the MCU. And Rich sent me back this furious response about how much he hates Matthew Iglesias. There are some centre-left people that left-wing people just hate. And for whatever reason, Starmer's one of them. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, Simon, because you you run in left-wing circles more than I do. But like, people have a, like an irrational dislike of Starmer. And Ooh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. It might not be the worst thing for the Labour Party to get a new leader in that that after Storm has done the heavy lifting of a kind of addition the left can just go, you know, this great movement of ours, let by, bygones be bygones. By the way, Corbyn's still out. Sorry, guys, but it wasn't me as a predecessor who did it. Yeah, let's all, let's yeah. all be friends now. I, I I I can definitely see how swapping Nandy and Starmer. But let, let's is a look, plus. let's let's be on let's be absolutely honest with ourselves. And I think this is an like this is I mean I did I did tweet earlier today and I stand by this that we you know one of the great things about the curry and um the curry and beer story is we can all get to talk about the uh, about the Labour leadership again because we're not at all bored of doing that over the last ten years. But like and yes. There is a possibility that there is a Labour leadership election, and you know, there's a you know, it could happen. The likeliest outcome, I think, is that there is a that County Dur- Durham Police investigate over the lot next month or so, come back and go. Turns out, it's basically fine. Keir Starmer, cat slogs on, is able to look Boris Johnson in the eye again. Mm-hmm. And politics carries on as normal. And more importantly, and I think this is the thing we kind of, you know, yes, party gate is significant. This is not underplaying it. And beer gate is, by the way, is getting, sorry, um, the Durham dining controversy is getting more, is getting more, is getting, you know, was getting traction. It does change people's minds. Like North Shropshire was basically lost because of party gate. There's not really any other reason. You know, what, what that means, what that says. But, it's quite clear that the economic situation of ordinary people in this country, the cost of living crisis, a thing that the Queen's speech had nothing to say about uh, to, earlier today. Um, you know, Boris was like, oh, it's all about, we, yes, we want economic. No, 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 that's not, that's not enough. It's doing nothing in, in, in the face of mm. this kind of level of economic pain, you know, where, what is it like, one in... One in seven, you know, one in seven people are going to be considered potentially in fuel poverty by the end of the year. You know, this is a, you know, in the end, yes, the parties, yes, the beer are significant and probably quite a few people should be thoroughly ashamed of themselves. But in the end, it's not, it's going to be not much more than mood music for the big question, which is, Hi, how can I heat my home and feed my children at the same time on my wage? On that note, I don't, I don't really have time to talk about anything else. 
I will just leave you with is I've been trying all for the past few days to think up Vindaloo riffs. Because obviously Vindaloo, the song, makes sense with uh, the beer and curry gate. Yeah. The best I've got is, can I introduce you, please, to a rep of Brigham Pier? <laughs> it's not very good. Keep we'll keep workshopping that. Yeah, look, yeah, we'll 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 workshop it more. We'll we'll try again <laughs> next time. Because I think this isn't going away yet. No. <laughs> but before before you like we 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 talked a lot about Lisa and Andy. Like, is there anybody else people think is a portable candidate? Bearing in mind, I think this is a bit you keep missing, Lou. Jeremy Corbyn has been leader of the <laughs> Labour Party in living memory. So plausible but, candidates, you know. They have to get twenty percent of the of the of the MPs, and they have to get a handful of trade unions or affiliated organisations to nominate them. So it, it's a it's a really high bar. I I so you 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 were like oh well you can't be too left wing for the MPs. The MPs are you know there are more the M, the parliamentary party has shifted to the left in the last few years. Partly not as much as Corbyn and McDonald should have you know, done while they were a leader, but they, it has. So there will, I think there will be someone from the campaign group who will yeah. at least try yeah. and that was, quite popular. That was, that was what I was going to say, Simon, because uh, that was that was the other part of the conversation I was having with Will. And my campaign group candidate would be Nadia Watmore. Oh, um, it, uh, do you mean Nadia Witt- Whittam? Oh uh, yeah, with, yeah, the nothing. Well, I, I look for. I, I hope so. Only because uh, that will mean I'll almost certainly go to the housewarming party of the Labour leadership candidate. But which to jo- add to having gone to a, a party with the uh, current co-leader of the Green Party, Carla Denya. All I'm saying is that I'm still, I'm still very much yeah. on the certain edge. How, how do you get forty people? Well, the, the campaign group, the pan, the campaign the group ca- is the the campaign group is thirty one. No, it's not. It's thirty because thirty one includes MPs who aren't don't have the Labour whip. So you need ten. So you only need ten more. You'll get the affiliated organisation. And you're assuming you're, you're assuming this campaign group will be united, and that no, I no, there's not the campaign group exists because the left couldn't be united in a deputy leadership election. You know, like, it, no, it's never survived the leadership election oh. and stayed united. Like, there'd have been a decent chance of having a more left-wing deputy leader or certainly put up a better fight if the campaign group hadn't attacked uh, Angela Rayner like a bunch of lone ninjas. Oh. It is true that the campaign, the Labour left, that is very, very good. At, uh, but, uh, I mean, the, the, other, the, the, other, the, the other sort of obvious runners and riders from the right would be West Streeting, but I don't see him getting on the ballot. No. Uh, if that Cooper ditto, I don't see her getting on the ballot. I think she could get on the ballot if she wanted it, but I, 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 I would imagine she, she, she might say no. John no, 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 we're, all, we're all ignoring the obvious choice, which is we know what's going to happen, which is Andy Burnham will resign as mayor of Greater Manchester, run in Wakefield. Sorry, I just had an aneurysm even trying to have that conversation. It's like, did, like you the see, did you see what Imran Khan, the former MP? Yeah, he actually got LinkedIn. He bloody LinkedIn as a, as a, as a what was it, as, as the... Um, a bailiff of the children. By the way, not to go back to obscure Northern Ireland politics, one of the funniest things 
is obviously when Jerry Adams had to resign as an MP to stand for the Irish uh, presidency. There was a lot of to and fro in about whether he had actually applied to be what is technically a member of the royal household. Yeah, because that's how you know, what you have to... Oh. And I, I think the way they did it was, is he said to the email, said, I no longer want to be an MP. And the person who got to who received the email was like, okay, we'll appoint you to the royal household. But Jerry Adams refused to acknowledge that. But there was mischief made and fun at his expense during the Irish presidency election. So so just 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 because you mentioned Jerry Adams and because it was on a recent episode of Paul Sinha's pub quiz, because which is a it's a fun and enjoyable program by a very nice man. Um what links Jerry Adams uh between twenty eleven and twenty nineteen, I think, and um Jeffrey Archer between nineteen sixty four and nineteen seventy one. Trying to get a relative of paedophile charges? No. No. Just Jerry Adams doing that then? It's ju- yes. I'm not. I'm for again. My lawyers have got allegedly. To yeah. Um. Should I tell you? Go on. They were both. They were both member of Parliament for Louth. So, um, Jerry Adams uh, is was member for the Irish County of Louth in in Dolaren and um. Jeffrey Archer, in the only sense of time he was ever an MP, was an MP for the constituency of Louth in Lincolnshire. Oh, oh, that is cool. So, All right, then, guys, shall we, shall we call it quiz? We've shifted into Simon Does Tedious <laughs> Quiz Ephemera. It's time to go home now. I was going to ask Simon, can you think of any candidate? As somebody who's closest to being a Labour Party member of the three of us, um, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, this is it's it's a really fair point. I mean, I think it's indicative of a my sort of my sanity not being a member of the Labour Party these days. But like, secondly, I but secondly, just the complete the sort of rather non-entity. I mean, yeah, you look around the shadow cabinet, which is logically where you'd find potential candidates, and it's a really it's you can't you can't see a. You can't see two or three really obvious candidates at the moment. I think it's unfair to say that the Shadow Cabinet are non-entities. I mean, they are. But Shadow Cabinet is always full of non-entities. I just, I just think it's the, the nomination threshold is so high. Mm. Like, the, like, remember, if, if it's 20% of the parliamentary party, that means you should only have five candidates at most. Yes, and they're not all going to have the equal number of nominations. So you're looking at four or less, probably, maybe only three if you if if you actually think about it logically. But then they've got to get this double threshold of getting the unions on board. So candidates who could get the twenty percent are blocked from getting that twenty percent. I, I like this is like to me the more when you look at it, Lisa Nandy by acclamation makes a lot of sense. At least in Lisa Nandy versus Yvette Cooper, uh, race makes a lot of sense. I struggle to see anything beyond that because everybody else is either too right wing or too neophyte or both. No way. <laughs> Like Yvette, Yvette Cooper is Yvette Cooper is too fast to the right, and she no, she she will get the union support. 
still the brown out brown eye machine that they dead twist some arms yeah, you go, you go that's remember the, that's, that's the other thing is well she reeks of Blair brown I don't think she does i i I think she reeks of Miller band which is worse because like which is worse clear Blair Brown won elections they did that thing that you know what I, I know it's a sh- out of fashion but you know they won general elections. The other thing I would just say very quickly before I go, as given that I'm the one who actually has something to do after this. Um, um, the other reason why I would not be too downhearted if I was Labour Party and Starmer's forced out is a Labour Party, the Labour Party, <laughs> always has to be done, has never ran a candidate who became leader of the opposition shortly after the, the previous general election, served a full parliamentary term as leader of the opposition, and then became prime minister. Closest would be um, Ramsey MacDonald in uh, uh, 1922, but that was only like a year. Um, obviously, Howard Wilson did do it as a previous prime minister, but that doesn't count. But like you, you look at Labour when they've actually taken office. You're the winners with Attlee, where like he he'd actually fought his first election, lost badly, then had this weird ten year stint in the long Parliament um, as leader of the Labour Party, pre- bit of it as a minister in the coalition government. So he's out. The two times Labour Party has run a candidate. As leader of the opposition, who's became prime minister, is Howard Wilson, Tony Blair. What do they have both have in common? They took over less than two years before the next general election. No, Blair was free. They took over midway through the parliamentary term, and uh, and I and I can just see Starmer taking a lot of brickbats. He's in a lot of drudgery. I can just, I can, I can just see this, this being a nice way of dealing somebody out, maybe a bit shop worn, and getting somebody in who's a bit fresh. Also, it'll give, it'll mean he'll get, so he'll become much, suddenly become much more popular with the grassroots of the Labour Party. They much prefer people who are failure. They much prefer people who are failure. And you probably get to be Lord Chancellor in in three years' time. All right. Mm. And on that note, <laughs> on that note, I'm, on that note, we can leave the least Nandy fan club to once. <laughs> Luke will leave the sexist in the corner. Yeah, at least in the end. Well, yeah, fair enough, I guess. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Before one of your colleagues or students find this podcast, would you like to refute the joking allegation that you're a sexist? I'm not, I'm well, not a sexist. I'm saying the election. Oh, that's what they all say. That's the first thing sexists say. That just confirms it, Luke. <laughs> I'm saying I don't think Lisa Mandy is very impressive. That was the beginning and end of it. Is that because of a Y chromosome? <laughs> no. And by the way, I'd like it to be noted that when you asked me for a candidate, the first candidate I came up with was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Nanny Watmore. 
swivel. That's true. That's fair enough. Simon, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm not running for Labour leadership either. No. And I am Will Calling, and we'll talk to you again in a while.